This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Fan Appreciation Night for the Denver Nuggets will be on April 9th. That'll be their final game of the year. Final home game this Sunday. Uh, it will be uh, one of the things that will be celebrated is pointing out that Jamal Murray has become the 10th all-time leading scorer in Denver Nuggets history. Mm-hmm. Uh, Murray having a good year, obviously and having it, a... Is this the first year where he's been a 20-point-per-game guy? I think it might be. Yeah, I believe it is. I'd have to look it up to confirm, but I do, but I do believe that it is the first year in which he's ever averaged uh, twenty plus, and that is still, you know, in an era of of exploding offenses, that is still uh, an era in which that's the case. And uh, I apologize. No, last year he did in the forty eight games, averaged twenty one point two, but he's played sixty four this year. Well, but, the most he has played since that twenty eighteen. Yeah, he didn't play last year. That would have been two years. I'm, back. I'm sorry. Yes, the twenty 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 one season. Okay, uh, he did twenty one point two in forty eight games. Wow. Yeah, it was a shorter season. Shorter season, but uh, this season. But I, but you also look at the rest of it. You know. Uh, in that year, the rebounds exactly the same, four per mm-hmm. game. The assists, however, for Murray, a career high at 6.2. And that's yeah. a career high by for him. over a full assist per game. And in uh, in a in assists per he's game. He's been steals are averaging one per game. He's been uh, a better player than I thought he'd be this year. And coming off the ACL surgery. We said that yep, all year. Turnovers down a smidge from the right before the surgery as well. So I mean overall, he's been a uh, probably, I would say this has been his best year. Now, the funny thing about it is the shooting percentage is somewhat down. And when you look at the way he has played from month to month, that is a bit of the concern. But it just you've talked about it, some players of you know for the for the Nuggets are trending in the wrong direction now. And Jamal married the, the 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 decline, I suppose, is minimal. But but here we go. You know, when you're talking about how he shot in January, beginning of the year, 48.1% from the field and 45.1 from three. February, 47.1 from the field. A little bit of a drop. A big drop in percentage in three-pointers down to 37.1, but also shooting 10 threes a game. Now, he only played six games in February, but averaged 10.3 attempts a game from three-point. That's too many. In March, that dropped to 7.8, and his percentage went up to 43.6. His overall percentage, though, down again, third month in a row, to 44.2. Now, he's only played two games in April, and his overall shooting percentage in the two games, 47.8, but three-point percentage, 33.3. Jamal Murray has kept uh, some big numbers, uh, obviously, in the course of the minutes this year. You know, we were talking about uh, maybe thinking over the course of the year that it might be down pre-All-Star game. 32.5, 32.5, gone up in the 19 post-All-Star games yes. to 33.7. Not not a ton, but over a minute yeah, more. It's 34. It, it, it's enough. You're, that you're getting into the danger zone, I think, for a guy that has that, 33 that injury. Coming off ACL surgery that took him out of almost a year and a half's worth of games. But when a shooter, this is sort of common basketball knowledge, I think, for most fans, uh, what's the first thing to go for a guy that's a shooter that's fatigued? The legs. And what goes when the legs go? The shot goes. And I think to an extent you've seen that a little bit with Murray. And then there is the other concern, I think, that gets compounded. Minutes with what up, you shooting about. percentage. Yeah, down. generally, yes. But the other thing about Murray is when you look at the months in which he takes a whole bunch of threes, that also tends to go down. So uh, it, it's not consistent. But over the course of his career, his sweet spot has taken about five or six three-point shots again. Rather than nine or ten. Seven, eight, nine, ten. And... The way to keep Jamal Murray from doing that 
is to help Jamal Murray feel like he doesn't have to do that. And that means that Michael Porter Jr., who's been doing his thing and has been actually, I give it to Porter Jr. for, you're talking about a guy that I would say is the Nuggets' third best player. I don't think he's better than Jamal Murray. But no. We, but, oh, no. But talking no. about last year and talking about this year again, you are talking about a as pure a shooter at his height as there is in the league. Maybe the best at his height in the league. And uh, he has been stunningly consistent when you're talking about his shooting percentages, yeah, both I've, from I've, three and from the field. I, I get what you're saying. Durant's in another class. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. And Durant's... His size, maybe even a little taller. <laughs> should be done but, much better. But, but, I mean, you're talking about it's like comparing yeah. John Stockton with Magic Johnson. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they're it, really good. They, they, but I mean, the fact that you're Magic even, is is superhuman, right? Or John was, Stockton's like and John really, Stockton really, really good. Is a Hall of Famer, but yeah, he he can't do the things Magic can do. So, so yeah, you're right. Like Durant, I, I, Durant, Durant's in the conversation. And it's funny. I didn't even about think about great. Durant because I didn't even consider him the same. Well, the same that, thing. That's right. exactly what you're He's actually about. taller than Porter. Right? Yeah, but the 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 challenge is at least, and even when you look at the shot number, Michael Porter Jr. in his minutes has been consistently all year long, month to month, he takes between 12 and 15 shots a game. Doesn't really go over it. Takes about the same number of threes. He takes just about six a game. He'll take more at times, but his averages. Uh, more or less fluctuate this year between 6.3 at one. And in, in February, he did take 8.8, but still hitting 41% of them. But it is Murray that seems to be the player that when Gordon isn't going, Murray seems to want to take that on himself. And I think this year, especially with that first full health year coming off the injury, think sandy that's probably something that the nuggets don't want him to do and it's not a recipe for success and this is where when you're talking about a team game this is where the team game comes in the best version of jamal murray is distilled into a smaller amount of shots if he has to start taking more shots because aaron gordon isn't hitting his now not only is gordon not having his best game but now murray's not having his best game now it becomes difficult to win these things work together I agree. And in the playoffs, you don't have to markedly change the way you play. In fact, you're well advised not to. But you have to reinvent yourself a little bit. Yes, you absolutely do. I do think not coming out of a selfish place or an egotistical place necessarily, but Murray feels that burden when his backcourt partner and, frankly, Gordon more than Porter aren't producing, that he instinctively feels as if he has to fill the void. And filling the void with additional threes, overall shot attempts, brings on a lower shooting percentage, in my opinion. He's also dealing with some soreness in both knees in recent weeks and months. He's dealing with an ongoing right thumb injury that every now and then he seems to aggravate. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a serious thing. Uh, I wouldn't play him tonight. Oh, no. Especially since they clinched 
last night when no Memphis lost. To play him tonight. However, might he play in Utah? Might he play a little bit even on Sunday against Sacramento? Sure, I don't see great harm in that if he's healthy. But the the thumb on the shooting hand is a tricky thing because every time you're handling the ball, especially when you're dribbling, the ball has a way of coming up against the mm-hmm. thumb in a way that, that stings and at some point could affect your accuracy on your shots. That could be at least a partial explanation for his lower shooting percentages because the thumb injury, I think, was initially sustained at, at, at some point in midwinter. I may be off on that a little bit, but he didn't just injure the thumb the other night for the first time. No, no, that's no, been no. bothering. Uh, you, him you've for seen a while. it when he uh, he swipes for steals. If it hits, it's funny, and and uh, obviously it's a sprain. Uh, so every time you'll aggravate it, and it, it can you know it puff up just a tiny bit on you, it, it's a problem. And and uh, he's he's actually done, I think, a pretty fair job of fighting through it. I think. That, oh, he's a tough guy. Yeah. Listen, he, he's, if you didn't know that he, he was injured. When it comes to toughness, he's an all-star. Yeah. And what offended me last year, and he doesn't mean my defense by any means, but it offended me that Tim Connolly went public. Oh, yeah. Before the playoffs began and said, playing is up to Jamal. Yes. It it's his choice to make. It was terrible because now, now you've now you've basically opened it up to basically tell fans. So when he doesn't play, fans are saying he doesn't care, he doesn't care, and or he's not tough enough. Not fair, and and it's especially not fair. I've made this argument before, and I'll continue to make it. I haven't seen it even in this year. Look, uh, Nikola Jokic cares about winning. He's not wasting his time going out on on the court to not win. He cares about winning. You can see every part of it. But is he one of those guys? And, and and the funny thing is, we talk about Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. I, I would say the same thing about Joel Embiid. Is Joel Embiid playing with a constant fire to go out there and beat you? I'm not really convinced he does. The competitor in him probably would have showed up for this game in Denver. Doesn't mean he doesn't care. Doesn't mean he's not brilliant. Nikola Jokic, same All way. you have to but, do is watch the game he played against Boston the other night to know he cares. Yeah. And but the, if but he's the guy, campaigning uh, through that performance for the MVP, more power to him. But the guy on the Denver Nuggets, and, and not every team is lucky to have one, but the guy on the Denver Nuggets that burns for a win, that, that they lose and he's upset to his stomach that night, that's Jamal Murray. That's more the, than anybody. That's the, that's more the, than the anybody guy else. on the Denver Nuggets yeah. that really wants to win games and it bothers him when he loses and you've you've heard you've talked to so many great ones over the years you could you can make the argument that the that the the competitors the, the truest hardest competitors the guys that are going to battle you to the very very end in whatever sport it is are the guys that hate to lose almost as much as they like to win Jamal oh, Murray or more I, I want a guy and I've more. seen him who hate to lose more than and they I'm love not to win. sure that Jamal Murray isn't one of those guys and it's, it's a constructive kind it. of fear. It is. It's a constructive kind of fear of losing. And you see it in team sports. You see it in individual sports. I was always convinced, you know, growing up both playing and watching tennis with great passion and interest, Jimmy Connors, 
hated to lose yeah. much more than he liked to win. He did not take winning for granted, but he hated to lose, and that drove him. And there were times during his career that when he played Borg in his prime and when he played McEnroe in McEnroe's prime, he was the second best player on the court, and he won some of those matches through sheer hatred of losing. And, and you don't have to go very far back to see, I would say, the best in the in the modern era in Kobe Bryant, another one of those guys. Who you, absolutely. You absolutely. Just, Hated just, yeah. to lose. Winning, to winning was nice. Do not when lose. the team turned mediocre, he wanted out. Right. Now, there were some problems with that, perhaps. Uh, maybe he felt entitled to win more so than he should. But, but he was at, one of those guys. As his career went on, you saw that he definitely put in the work. And if anyone was entitled to comp and attitude when the team didn't win, it was Bryant because he hated to lose. And, and, I, I, and, uh, and more so than almost any other player. And although he was less demonstrative about it, I thought he found um, Kobe did a kindred spirit, again, less demonstrable. In uh, Gasol, mm-hmm. yeah, who did they were close. demonstrate how much he hated to lose, but Bryant found a kindred spirit, so that when they brought Gasol in, Bryant said, "That's the guy I want." Not just a big guy with talent, no, with that big, guy. but somebody <laughs> yeah. who hates matches to lose, matches your energy, kind of like I do, right? And I think Jamal Murray is the only player on the Nuggets that that approaches that. And the funny thing is, I think the more we the more we see of him, the more we start to get the personality. The the I would argue the second player on the team that is close to that mentality. And keep in mind, you don't have to win. Look, one of the criticisms of LeBron James over the course of his career is that he he's not really one of those guys. It hasn't really hampered him all that much. So it's not <laughs> as if it's not as if you have to have that. But I I would argue already. You you would say, okay, who's the most like that? It's Murray by a country mile. The next guy might be Christian Brown. I agree. I agree. And he plays with a fire and an intensity at both ends of the floor. I mean, Bruce Brown. That suggests that the notion of losing makes him almost physically Yeah, Ill. makes him sick. Makes him sick to your stomach. And they, they have the players. You, well, look, Bruce Brown is a, I, I love Bruce Brown's players. Bruce Brown's Bruce Brown, a guy but like Bruce that. Brown is a, but he is also to an extent sort of a happy warrior. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no. And, and there's not, and, and the you need a mix. demonstrations right. of, uh, you know, how much one hates to lose can can vary, it can, and it can be problematic if but, it's too much. Quite frankly, uh, yes, uh, it, it can be. And uh, Bruce Brown, you're you're right, and that's a good characterization. But uh, you know, I, I'll be honest, he's one of them. Again, not through lack of trying, he just seems to me to have been less effective because he's been less efficient over the second half of the season. And it hasn't been a big drop-off, no. but it's been a, a little bit of a drop-off. And there's still nights where I find myself saying, boy, I, I wish he played a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But generally, I think throughout the season, Malone has used him uh, to best advantage. And I think that Brown has taken the best usage of his time as well. I mean, he, he is essentially, I mean, I obviously have to cons- I consider him essentially a starter. For the Nuggets. He is definitely, if you identify anyone on this team as a sixth man, 
especially in yeah. terms of upgrading the defense when he comes in. He's a six-man. Well, we, we haven't had a chance to uh, to talk about it, but the Nuggets win the Western Conference top seed, and uh, you're, you're looking for winners if you're hurt, and you want to find our friends at Burnham Law. That's BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. You want to hire a winner, and their personal injury attorneys have years of experience fighting for their clients. Locations are all over Colorado in Fort Collins, in Boulder, Westminster, Cherry Creek, the DTC, Colorado Springs, and even up in Cheyenne, Wyoming, that main personal injury office right here in the DTC where we are, are, are we speak. And when you're injured, they push for you to get your maximum recovery, whether that's by settlement or by trial. They fight for you. So go hire a winner when you're hurt. Check out our friends at Burnham Law, BurnhamLaw.com, 720-845-7001. Uh, we're not ignoring the Colorado Avalanche's fourth chance to take control of the Central Division with only six games left there in San Jose tonight. We'll talk about them next. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. It is uh, opening day down on Coors Field, by the way. If you're listening to us instead of the game, thank you for uh, avoiding a combined 3-9 and nine record for those two teams down there. But uh, let me know what's going on. The Rockies and Nationals are tied. 0-0 well in the fifth. A Kyle, very well-pitched game. Kyle Freeland, five innings pitched, five strikeouts, one walk, only three. It's allowed the better part. 59 pitches through five. And when you're talking about the offense, uh, Elleris Montero, two for two. And Chris Bryant keeps his string alive. A hit in at least every game this year. Off to a hot start at 346. You remember Freeland's Major League debut, 2017? Yeah, at I'm not Coors that Field. I, yeah, I'm older right. than that. I remember that okay. one. Uh, two to one went over the Dodgers. He gave up one run in six innings of work. He was magnificent. Uh, went on to have a decent rookie year and an exceptional second year in yeah. 2018, where he finished fourth in the Cy Young Award voting. Won 17, I believe. 17. And finished fourth in the Cy Young balloting. Yep. Uh, that's uh, an impressive year, and they would like to see a, a, maybe not a return to that form. That would yeah, be amazing, but, but you'd sure but, like to but see but it. But somewhere be, close to it. Well, uh, nice. Probably essential. Uh, you know, we were talking uh, today, uh, a few people uh, uh, who I converse with about uh, the Rockies fairly frequently, and uh, the point was made that on a good team, Marquez is probably at best a second yeah, starter. I agree with that. And Freeland is probably more like a four. Agreed. Uh, on, a, on a good team. On a, on, a, on, a, on a really good team, yeah. And it's okay that on a good team, neither one would be an ace. But on this team, especially in this ballpark, they have to pitch, in Marquez's case, like an ace, and in Freeland's case, like a number two. And that's we, we've been talking about the burden of expectations uh, here on this program today. And... Uh, you know, Freeland's been struggling, uh, to be perfectly blunt. 
for the better part of four years now, and maybe 2023, he can recapture that form. He's still young. He pitches with his head. Uh, he's fiery, but when he's got pretty close to his best stuff, that works to his advantage. And I love the fact that he's a guy who hates to come out of a ball game. Yeah. I like that because so many guys are conditioned these days to pitch five or six innings, and it's all fine and good. And he hates to be taken out of ball games early. And the way to do that is go into games where you've gone through five innings and fifty nine pitches. Uh, That's don't the way to walk do it. People, that's how you that's do it. That's the way to do it. The Colorado Avalanche take on the San Jose Sharks for the second time in three days. The sort of uh, two games in a row against San Jose in San Jose, but not back to back. Of course, they were off last night. Uh, Their competitors in the Central Division also off last night in action tonight. The Stars have what appear to be a winnable game, a rather uh, against the the, uh, Philadelphia Flyers tonight, although not a gimme. The tough one, the Wild have have a a desperate Pittsburgh Penguins team tonight that they'll be facing in the Avs. In Pittsburgh. Have the eliminated Sharks. And so this is another opportunity, Sandy, because they're all playing tonight. After tonight, the Avs will still have that game in hand against the Stars and the Wild. That's right. Making this this game tonight imperative that I was about to say to get a win, which you want, but it's hockey. I, I don't care if it's an overtime. I don't care if it's a shootout. Just oh, that doesn't matter. You don't away, mind. Walk away with two points. You However don't care you do if San Antonio, uh, San Antonio, San Jose gets uh, a point, a point or eliminated. zero points. It doesn't. Just walk matter. you, the Avalanche, you have you to gotta walk get away two. with two. You got to get two. So tonight, I think the recipe for success, uh, I, I presume Capo uh, Kalkin is going to be in the in net again because he was tremendous so. he, and he had a, day, he had off. a day off. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it also felt like he played a, a kind of out of his head for a little bit. And, yeah, and he was shaky at the beginning. It's a funny game. He was shaky at the beginning, right then, at the beginning, yeah. and then he caught fire. Brick wall for a huge chunk of the game. But if you're the Avs, the recipe's the same. Get out there and get the early lead. And, and have the Sharks team, which know they have nothing to play for, to just fold. That's that's the trick. Just get out there. Uh, don't give him any opportunity to get a life. Try not to let him get the first goal. Uh, it's not a death sentence for the Avs if they do. But it, but if Avs go out and get that first goal or maybe go up even 2-0, this is going to be easy. So get the energy ready. Get out there. You know, Jared Bednar talked a little bit about passengers uh, at one point. No passengers. <laughs> this is not a gimme. You're in a three-way tie for first place. And got to get it done. It, it would be my guess. They got a bunch of guys who are listed as day-to-day, right? Uh, Helm, day-to-day. Manson, day-to-day. McCarr, day-to-day. Franzos, day-to-day. Although an interesting update on Franzos from Jared Bednar today. More encouraging. Much more, in fact, to the point where he believes that Franzos will be the first guy back, saying that he's more or less ready to go, All right. is what he said so today. So day-to-day... Might not be today, but it might be Saturday, now, Sunday, one of these games yeah. down the stretch where, you know, I, I think especially Sunday against Anaheim. Right. Maybe you play him. Maybe he's ready. Maybe, if he's, ready, he's to go, ready to go. If he's ready to go Sunday at Anaheim, it'd be perfect because then you can give rest for a right. Georgiev before they face a stupid hot Edmonton Oilers team. Oh, I mean, there are three teams that over the second half of the season have been far and away the hottest. Boston, which has been hot all year, Edmonton, and the Avs. That's it. That's that's the list. They've separated themselves the second half of the year. I'm not going to the second half of the year. And Boston's just 
continued at the pace that they set in the first half, <laughs> right? Uh, but with Edmonton and the Avs, surprisingly slow starts to to the season, even considering all the Avs injuries, 2017-3 and three in the middle of January, uh, it did not look promising. It, it would be a struggle just to make the playoffs, and now you're talking about a team that's doing what Jared Bednar even maybe six, seven weeks ago said, you know, we're, we're, we just want to get into the playoffs and we want to be healthy. Now Jared Bednar is talking about winning the Let's division and the yeah. importance of winning the division. Now that it's being served up to you, maybe not on a silver platter, but having four chances in the last month and, and finally the other yeah. night taking advantage against a very weak San Jose team. It's not being served They've had their chances. It's not being silver, but it, but served up on a silver platter. It's up on the but, buffet but table. Just there. go get it. It's there. Just go get it. It's there to be taken. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that Lekkonen can come back and Manson can come back fairly soon. I have my doubts about uh, Landeskog. Uh, I imagine Makar won't play again tonight. Uh, it seems to be a relatively minor injury. Uh, and my uh, assessment of that situation is that uh, the other night the TV guys weren't out of their minds with fear talking about how McCarr might be out for the playoffs. Right. No, uh, no. Or for a portion of the playoffs. No. And they weren't. They, they weren't. So that truly seemed to be a day-to-day situation with McCarr, and maybe he'll surprise us and he will play tonight. My sense is... That if he returns, uh, it'll be on Saturday. That's my guess. They'd too. be careful tonight, even if he's sort of ready. Uh, you're be you're careful a better tonight team than San him, Jose. Get him, get him back for get Saturday back against for the, Kings. the Kings. That's that's what I would do too. And I would suspect if McCarr's ready for the Kings, he'll be back for the Kings. I don't think he'll play tonight. We know Helm won't play tonight. Uh, and then some of the injury situations with uh, the four that they've been missing that are significant. It sounds like Francois is literally good. Uh, basically ready to go. They want to see In fact, that was the term that Bednar used, said he wanted to see what he feels for the next couple days. But that kind of aligns with maybe you try him out on the second game of the back to the second night of the back to back Sunday against Anaheim. The story with Francois always seemed center and rightly so on the games. He doesn't play the injuries he's had because there've been such a steady flow of injuries in recent years. But you look at a much larger sampler size of Georgiev games versus Francois games this year. They're virtually identical, except for the one loss record, which is something like 7-7-1 seven, seven and one or mm-hmm. thereabouts yeah. with Francois. But goals against, virtually the same. Save percentage, I believe, is exactly the same. And obviously... Uh, Georgiev has five shutouts, and that goes quite a bit further than anything Francois has done. But Francois is a competent backup, and uh, he has a fan in Daryl Sutter, the coach of the Calgary Flames, who, when Francois was healthy earlier in the year, suggested that in Georgiev and Francois, the Avs had the best goaltending tandem in the national, you are you are basically right. In the 15 games Francois has played, of course, that's you know, smaller sample size. Georgiev has been at 57. Uh, Francois is a 2.53 goals against Georgiev, 2.54, and they have identical, right. identical, really good 919 save percentage. Well, which is good, and we uh, we we talk about 2.50 and 920 as being the benchmarks. Um, They're for right Georgiev, there. close enough. 
yeah. 36 uh, wins, tied yeah. for second in the league, <laughs> 2.5 or goals against, 12th in the league, 919 save percentage, tied for fourth in the league, and five shutouts, tied for first with a couple of others, including Darcy Kemper. Uh, tied for first in the league with five shots. And by the way, and uh, maybe he gets a six tonight. Pretty good in the shootouts when it gets there too. Stopping excellent seventy-seven percent of shots. Excellent. On, I mean, think about that. Seventy-seven percent. One of the best. One of the best on breakaways. And, and the Avs, uh, for however long a period of time or short a period of time, have over the recent years been pretty good in shootouts. Largely because their goaltenders have been good in shootouts yeah. year after year. And yet, uh, I think Georgiev at age 27 I think has best, a better chance yeah. than previous goaltenders of being here three, four, five years from now as the number one goaltender. I get that feeling as well. I think they found one, and I think they certainly found a, a goaltender they can win the cup with as long as health gets better for the rest. The big step mm-hmm. tonight against San Jose, find uh, that way to win that, and you'll be in good shape. Of course, we talked about the Rockies. They're up 1-0, by the way, uh, as uh, Chris Bryant goes ahead and singles in Ezekiel Tovar, one zip. But baseball is back, and the push for the postseason is on for both hockey and hoops, so make it count. This spring with Superbook Sports. Superbook Sports is the best wagering app around with a direct line to experience the bookmakers behind the counter in Las Vegas. And plus, right now, you get a $250 bonus when you sign up, deposit, and wager in the same day. I don't really know why you wouldn't do that because, I mean, if you're signing up and depositing, you know, you're going to make a wager. So don't let spring pass you by without winning money from Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and condition. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Hall of Fame basketball coach and Nuggets former coach George Carl joins us next. There are many things that I would like to say to you but I don't know how Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar weekdays at 2 on Mile High Sports. Delighted to be joined by our next guest. Of course, he uh, hosts a podcast with uh, the man on my left, Sandy Clough, uh, Truth of Basketball, and then two plus media company in concert right. with a uh, mile sports right here. So always delighted to talk to uh, George Carl. Of, of course, uh, I barely needs any introduction, but um, uh, I think you know where he stands. Hall of Fame, <laughs> former. Like, what what are you looking for? Uh, Coach Carl knows it about basketball. And Coach, thank you for for joining us. But as the Nuggets do something they have never done. They clinched the top seed in the West. The challenge would be as someone who's done that before, as you have, now all of a sudden the expectations change dramatically, don't they? Uh, the expectations and the pressure. Yeah. Uh, the pressure of, uh, you know, I had the luxury of being beat by Denver Nuggets when I had the best record in the NBA. And uh, that was probably the most depressed I have ever been. In my life <laughs> took me a while to get over that, and uh, you know. But the the season, the NBA season, has been kind of a I don't know what the word to define it is. It's kind of wild and crazy a little bit, uh, unorthodox maybe. I don't think there's been a lot of you know a lot of similarities to load management now and then so many teams being so young and and Phoenix making a big trade in the middle at the all-star break that makes a team that was 
a good team and maybe into the championship team. Right. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's just, uh, I think the magic of figuring out who is the best team is going to happen in the playoffs and not in the regular season. That's just my feeling. And that happens, you know, it happens sometimes, but there's not, in my mind, there has not been a dominating team except maybe Milwaukee. But even Milwaukee, they stubbed their toe. They, they got beat by Boston by 40 on their home court. They did. A week ago. And they're nice. They don't play outstanding basketball. And and what happens, I think, sometimes sometimes guys like Giannis, who I think is one of the top five players in basketball, but the more you play against them, the more you learn how to maybe play them. And... Uh, so I think uh, we just got to wait for the first round. There's going to be some great first-round matchups. There's going to be some teams that are going to be really challenged to show who they are in the first round. And one of those teams is probably the Denver Nuggets. What excites you, Coach, the most about the Nuggets and which element or elements provide for you a cause for concern the most? Ooh. Uh, the most exciting thing to me is how Nicola is going to take the playoff challenge of a superstar. Um, you know, he, he had some success in the bubble, but again, I've, I think everybody knows I've kind of discounted that. <laughs> uh, but since the bubble... And they've been okay. And now, you know, most of the time, they, that's been blamed on the others and not on Nicola. But now I think by being the best team you know, in, the, in the Western Conference and being pretty dominating in the regular season, even though they're playing at, at, at a, a kind of an average clip right now, I think Nicola's legacy, if that's important to him or not, it's got to be in the playoff basketball. It's not going to be in MVPs of the regular season or all-star games. It's going to be based upon how you can list this team and help this team come together and be powerful in the playoffs. And I, I have confidence in him. I love him. Um, but, you know, he's going to be the number one target for that opposing team for seven games. And uh, there, there's a lot of coaches right now studying, you know, their opponent. And whoever it's Nicole is going to have a tough assignment. But, you know, I thought towards the end of the year, the trend was drifting to playing him small and then doubling him late when he gets in the paint uh, and trying to surprise him with the double team. Don't just give him a double team. Uh, I know Philadelphia did that with some success. Uh, I don't know if Phoenix has that luxury anymore. Uh, I, I think they've lost that luxury by trading their, their forwards to Auburn and New Jersey. Right. But that's right, that's what's going on. I, I think that would be my biggest positive is you got, I think, one of the top two or three players in basketball. And how now he's got to deliver in the playoffs. And I think he will. Uh, the other weakness right now, they're not, they're, they're, they don't seem to be as connected as they were maybe six weeks ago. 
Uh, maybe they're bored. Uh, you know, maybe uh, some of the guys that had some, like I think Aaron Gordon probably had the best year of his career yep. this year. But the last three or four weeks, you know, it's kind of, whatever the phrase would be, it kind of, he's, he's playing like he did the last couple of years. Uh, you, you know, right now he's not making shots. He's not making free throws. Um, Caldwell Pope is, uh, I mean, Pope is, uh, you know, he was shooting the three ball at a high level, but now he isn't. Uh, I think there. I think the three ball is going to be tested a little bit, even though they've been in the top, you know, top spot and top two or three spot most of the year. I still don't know if they're a great three point shooting team. Um, and I, I just would like to see them probably a little better connection, both offensively and defensively. But I, I trust. You know, I think this is the time of the year. I think fans get a little anxious. And it might be just the time to think, hey, in the playoffs, they got to learn some things. They might lay an egg. But just as long as they figure out how to get through the first round, I think that would help them get more confidence probably for the second round. Coach, Michael Porter Jr. has gotten uh, not only the best year of his career, but has really looked better almost month to month as he rounds out his game. And uh, the, the shooting, of course, is lights out, one of the best pure shooters in the league. When you look at the playoffs and what Michael Porter Jr. could bring, what dynamic does he bring if Nikola Jokic, of course, is, is struggling with double teams or is having a, the kind of game where he needs to be a little more of a distributor? When you look at the team now with the way Porter Jr. is playing, does it alter your perception of them and how so? Uh, I have not been the biggest fan of Porter Jr. Uh, I think, though, in the... The last game uh, where he went six for 15, I thought that was the best game I've seen him play. Uh, he's doing more things on the court. He's doing some little things on the court. He's just not becoming what I call a filler of stats. He's becoming more of a winner of, of doing winning basketball. And uh, that's good. That's all good. But now it's also harder to do in the playoffs than it is to do in the regular season. And uh, I think that's what he's going to be tested come um, a week from today or whenever they start their playoffs. I think they start a week from today. Uh, but, uh, I mean, everything that you get, of, of the first three teams in the Western Conference all have very inexperienced lineups from the standpoint of stardom right. in the playoffs. The team that probably I think we all got to worry about is Phoenix. Yep. Uh, and in a bad way, winning first place could give them Phoenix and maybe the Warriors or maybe the Lakers or maybe the Clippers uh, in the first round and, and, of course, Phoenix in the second round. Yeah. The, the draw might have been better. If you would have drawn, you know, maybe the Warriors or whoever finishes in seven. Right. And then you would get Memphis yes. in the second round. Right. Right. And right. Sandy and I have talked about that. I've never been a believer by – you don't play for your matchup. You just play basketball. But 
the way the league played this year, playing, having some gamesmanship and trying to figure out who your best matchup would not be, it would be in the same category of what some coaches do all season long. I want to ask you about a point you made on the podcast today, and it was fascinating to me. You think that they could get some help off the bench in the playoffs from a guy who really hasn't all year been a part of their rotation, but he's a veteran guy. Uh, you were interested in him once upon a time when you were still coaching in Sacramento. His name is Ish Smith. Uh, give us a sense for, for a minute or so what your feeling is about Ish Smith and why he could conceivably help the Nuggets in the playoffs. Well, I think it basically comes down to putting a playmaker who, who plays most of the game for others by making plays for others, by being a guy that wants to orchestrate and organize his team. That's what, he, that's what his career has been. Early in his career, he was one of the fastest players in the NBA. Uh, I think, Sandy, you know that when I was in Sacramento, we talked about it. When we signed Rondo, I wanted to sign Ish Smith as my starting point guard. And I wanted to spend another five or six million on another player. Right. Rather than sign Rondo to whatever we paid him, 10 or 12 million dollars. And that was my desire because that's how much I liked Ish Smith. Now, I knew at that time that Ish was probably not a 35 minute player. Oh, of course not. But. I like him so much because he's a he knows he's played the same way his whole career. He's had some big games in places, and I think he could contribute ten to fifteen minutes is what you need right now. When when not when I think he play well with with Murray, and when Jokic is off the court, I just don't see enough playmaking on the court. And that's what I've said now probably going on three years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jokic is not on the court. I don't feel we have a good, enough decision makers on the court. He is George Carl, of course, and the host of Along with Sandy Clough, the Truth of Basketball, that podcast part of Truth Plus Media with podcasts on sports, leadership, human performance. You can find them at truthplusmedia.com, uh, Apple, Spotify, Google, YouTube, and right here and on my Sports. And good luck to uh, Kobe Carl. Who is playing yeah. in a championship, now coaching in a championship game tonight, not playing, but coaching uh, for a chance to be the first member of the Carl family to win a professional championship here yes, in the G League. 630. <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous. I got a call with him in about 30 minutes. All right. <laughs> All right. Good luck. Thanks and thanks for the time, Coach. Appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, Coach. Okay, guys. Enjoy the sunshine. All right. Always good to talk to George Carl. We'll have to follow up on that. And of course, check out the podcast that Sandy and the coach put together. Uh, th- this is going to be a, a fun night. Interesting night. Some of the Denver Nuggets uh, will be facing the Phoenix Suns tonight. Yes, uh, some. Uh, reportedly not Jamal Murray, not Nikola Jokic. Uh, right. Michael Porter Jr., uh, questionable for uh, left heel management. Well, that's what they said when they sat Porter out of a game recently. Exactly right. what they said. Left so heel management. Some of the Nuggets will be out there probably getting clobbered by the Suns, but it doesn't matter because <laughs> they already have the top seat. The That's Avalanche, right. however, have a much more consequential game tonight. 
against San Jose. That is late. And, of course, the Rockies go with opening day. So a lot to pay attention to. Uh, thanks to Coach Carl for joining us tomorrow. We'll have uh, Romy Bean. So looking forward to uh, catching her as well. Thanks to Danny Bailey in the booth making everything uh, sound the way it sounds and catching up on text and all that. The We Can't Andrew Detmer making the video work well uh, when you're checking us out at MileySports.com. Either watch or listen or on the app. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to hand things off to our friends on the afternoon drive. Anila Piro and Cody Rourke for Sandy Clough. I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on Mile High Sports. Shut